Welcome to Outside the Glass. I'm your host, James Zug. For years, I had heard about this very special figure in the squash community um, who uh, lived down the West Coast and had been the CEO of Wells Fargo Bank, but had uh, dropped away from the squash community in the 1960s, and nobody seemed to know where he was. I luckily was able to track him down last fall in Seattle and had the pleasure of uh, com- coming to his offices and sitting with him for a couple hours and talking about uh, his very, very special uh, journey in squash. It begins uh, with us talking about the Second World War and him leaving Yale to join the Air Force. What, what, what class were you in at Yale? Class of 44. And when did you leave New Haven to, to join the Air Corps? Oh, that was March of 43, I think. Was that typical of people who, who in your class, were a lot of people leaving in oh, the middle? Oh, yeah. You, you, you left because you got a choice. In other words, I was on the draft. I had a number like everybody else. And if I wanted to choose my service, I had to volunteer. Right. Otherwise, you could be drafted anywhere. Otherwise, I'd just be put in, given a, a rifle, and say, go shoot him, you know. Um, so you joined the Air Corps. Joined the Air Corps. And Where did you train? Where were you well, sent? Uh, sent to Europe, believe it or not. It's a typical Army thing. Trained on the West Coast, so sent to Europe. Right. Instead of to the so Pacific like, area, where they were using a lot of P-38s, too. Mm. And where in Europe did you go? France, or? Uh, was this, a, this, was Bel- this after D-Day? Hmm? Was this after oh, D-Day? Oh, yeah, it was right after D-Day. I know they ended on December 11th, 1944, because that's the year that I crashed, and I lost my arm in the crash. And, uh, in Belgium or in Germany? or No, it was in France, northern France. Towards the end of the World War II, the Air Force and the, the whole Allied effort was so good that the Germans weren't, weren't flying very much. And I was testing the new flaps to try and get inversion into that plane, and it didn't work. I mean, they may have worked later on, but when I pushed my button, nothing happened. And I was just lucky. I went in and got out just in time. and. You were parachute. You parachuted out. Yeah, just looking. Pretty, pretty exciting because in those days, you everybody wore a parachute, mm-hmm. and the parachute red handle was right here, and you pulled it across your chest. Well, you visualize doing that. I don't know how it got open. I always thank my God for getting me out of that thing. And, and somebody saw me, picked me up, took me to the hospital. And, and did you land on a tree? Did you land on a... I, I don't know. I didn't come to for three days. I mean, really? I was, it was real close, you know. Those days, uh, you died from shock and stuff like that. Infection, yeah. I was lucky to get through it. But if you, if you have studied the history of that particular thing, I crashed just about a day before the Battle of the Bulge. Really? Which was a... December battle, the last gasp of the Germans, and I was sitting up there in France. I was sitting there, and uh, like all the other guys who couldn't be moved, because I had I had it cut me down here and my leg and all, and I, I was. Did you get hurt from the landing or from the ejecting from the plane, or who knows? You can't tell. Because you, you blanked it out. Like you, you did when you landed. It was oh, you, three days you, later. You, yeah. you, you don't remember stuff like that. Exactly. It's, it's, a, it's a blessing, really. Right. Lots of pain and lots of worry, but you know, all you do was 
they just try to keep you alive, and they, they got me to about, about the third hospital I came to, and I, I didn't even know that I had lost my arm. But I, because the trouble is you can feel it. I can feel it out there right now, the phantom pain. But it doesn't hurt. When I get out of the Army, it yet hurt. And they got rid of it. It's hard to get rid of phantom pain sometimes. Anyway, uh, so you were my biggest disappointment for... was that I couldn't play golf, couldn't have my senior year playing football for Yale. That really, that was the most upsetting thing about the whole thing. I just showed you the mentality I had. Of a twenty-year-old, yeah. I was well. I was I was two weeks into my twenty-first year. My leg was pretty much mangled, and I had to do plastic surgery and stuff On your like leg. that. Yeah. Wow. And so, I finally got it back. Were you, the, in, were you in a hospital in the States eventually, or did you oh, stay? Oh, sure, every place. I mean, in other words, yeah. in France, and then all the overseas hospitals. Went to Indianapolis for quite a while, where everything was supposed to grow, and ended up in Atlantic City. And I, I, I got out of the Army in Atlantic City in January of 1946. So over a full year. Oh, yeah. I was lucky when I came back after the war and lost my arm. The guys at Yale knew I, when I finished my senior year there. My, the guys at Yale figured I couldn't play football. They were talking about a little kind of a special mask or something, but it didn't work. But I could play squash, and I learned to play with my other hand. Had you played squash at Yale? Oh uh, yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, all all three years before you oh, left. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! And as a fre as a freshman on the freshman team. Well, I don't right? know. Or, I can't remember the details. Whether it was a freshman team or just the team. Yeah. Because I can't. You played matches. And oh oh yeah. Who sure. who were your classmates those years before? Well, the war? John John Holt was yeah. was the uh, and I were the two top guys on the Yale squash team. He won the uh, intercollegiate squash. Yes, right? he did. He won the year that. The, I caught the measles and had to watch him play in the finals, and it killed me because we were very close. I got out of I got out of the infirmary in time to watch him win the finals, which was great. But when I got back, and when I got the exciting thing for me was that Johnny kept working with me. I was a big hitter, but I couldn't do it anymore. I had to make it up in my legs, running like hell and getting everything back, and. Uh, but Johnny kept working with me. And when, when did you arrive back at, on campus? Because you, you said well, you got out of the hospital well, in I January. Well, I had, I had a long... Did you go there home? Was, there was a, an operation on my legs that, that it had to grow for three months before they'd take me back. It was like nerves growing. Mm -hmm. And plastic surgery on, on, the, on covering up the, the, the cuts on, mm -hmm. on that side. And, it took me, how long did it take me? Oh. I got I, I got a three-month leave and they asked for an extra month. Uh -huh. And I did get the extra month. So I went back to Yale like in the summer of... 46. 40, no, 45. The war was still on. I went back in the summer of 45. I got it in my four months and Yale at that point had decided to give you credit for your time in the Army. And I'd been in the Army three years, right. so I got credit for one term, and that's all I needed. So I graduated in October of 46, mm -hmm. and then I went back and I had to shape my stump and everything for the prosthesis, which I don't have today, but 
I, I don't wear it so much anymore, but I used to. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, did so you, I, you I, played you played one season afterwards at, uh, on the squash team. No, I didn't play on the squash team. Uh, it was summertime, and I, I didn't. I right. just wanted to learn it, but I did move to San Francisco. Right. And we got a Pacific Coast team going with two with, with two guys from San Francisco and three guys from Seattle. And uh, forgetting what then we went to Pittsburgh yeah. and won the national championship, the national team championship. 1954. Yeah, whatever it was. Yeah, and I can't remember. It wasn't a question of what number you played because we don't we didn't all play together. Right. But we won enough to win, so that I did that with my other hand, this hand. So how did you learn how to play squash with your left hand, your left arm? Johnny Skillman taught me. I mean, he was he, he was patient with me, and we'd been friends forever. And he said, "Well, you want to try?" And we, I said, "Try, sure, I try." And so I kept getting a little bit better, a little bit better. And I, I, I don't know if you you could look it up, but I think I got up in the first ten again. I'm not sure, yeah, Some, somewhere in there. Yeah. With this hand, and that was fun, and it was fun to be on that team because that's the only bit of a national championship I ever had. I lost to Charlie Brinton and the other chance I had. And this this one, we did, I've forgotten who we beat in the finals. You but beat a lot of teams three to two. Yeah. They were really tight matches. Oh yeah, we, we, were, we weren't great, but we weren't bad. You had uh, Walt Pettit. Walt Pettit was, see, he was on that same team with Brinton and Pearson. Yes, he was. And he, uh, he, he and I were the, the two guys from San Francisco joined with the three guys from Seattle and we made the Pacific Coast team. That's how we got through it. Um, And that was was a very exciting thing in my life. Did you uh, go to the national team uh, tournament any other years or was that the one year you did that? That was the one year we went. So you didn't come back in 55 to defend your title? No, no. I I can't remember why, but... People had work and family. That's where we were all working. I mean, it was different. Right. It wasn't like we we're at college, you yeah. know. But when it was you, fun to do it. When you arrived in San Francisco in '47, what was the squash scene like there? Who, where did you play? Who were well, you? there was there was the uh, the Olympic Club had a, a couple of squash courts, and the University Club had a couple. Then later on, the University Club spent some money and built a doubles court, right. which was terrific. And that was that was my game. I liked that the best of all. But that was. You couldn't get, there wasn't a doubles court any closer than Denver when I was playing. Right. There was one in Denver. and Where was the, it in Denver? I don't remember. Some club at the top of some building. Oh, it was the Denver Club. I don't on know. On the 22nd can't, floor. Can't, can't remember. Yeah. 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 You got a whole stuff. You, you, know your, you know your history. So uh, were, were there a lot of people playing at the Olympic Club and the University Club? Was it a vibrant community or was it no, very no, small? No, it, it wasn't that many. Just those of us who went east to school. That was it. Was mostly guys who had played. Yeah, they, they, Berkeley had a couple of courts, right. you know, and whatnot, but it wasn't a big thing. I don't think there was a. There, there was usually a Pacific Coast tournament once a year or stuff like that. Yeah, but uh, it wasn't a big thing on the West Coast. I mean, after all, you can play tennis all year round. So right. Yeah. How did you serve? Uh, you put the ball on the racket, throw it up, and then go whack. It's sort of a, a, a funny kind. Of, well, you can, and, and you, of course, you can lob serve it too. Right. Uh, uh, but you, it's the same with, with tennis. You put it on the strings. 
put it up. Oh, and toss it up. It, and then, yeah. yeah. And it's just like everything else with practice, you can do it. I mean, there's very few things that an amputee can't do because uh, you figure it out. Everything's a holder. Mm. In other words, if you were watching me just coming in here, I put the, my wallet and my wife, my, my mouth to get through the door because that's a holder. Teeth are a great holder. And it turns out that uh, you can do a lot of things. There's some things you can't do, so let's not argue about that. But most of the things you can do if you figure it out how to hold it. And you do. I mean, that's what they do. And no amputee wants to look different. They want to look all the same. So that's what they do. In 1946-47, you're a long way from the American with Disabilities Act. You're a long way from 2015, where there's a lot of acceptance and laws and uh, acknowledgement about it. Mm -hmm. So what was that like in the 40s and 50s where where people treated you probably differently than they do today? Or was it the same? Or what, what was it well, like Well, you, you, like you worked really hard that they wouldn't do that. You didn't want them to treat you differently. You want to be like everybody else. Right. So you worked hard and it's like cutting, like having dinner. And I, I use this example of cutting your meat Somebody gives you, oh, let me cut your meat, you know. And if she's really pretty and she wants to cut, cut your meat, that's terrific. But on the other hand, you have to show you can do it, so you cut away. Well, there are ways to do that. And after you sure, you're sure you can do that, I mean, it's really hard to cut a chicken, but it's easier to cut a steak if you have a good knife. But the thing is, once you get the confidence of doing it, then if someone wants to help you, you say, well, thank you very much, you know, you're very glad that you're getting that help. Because people want to help you. Yeah. And sometimes the real compliment comes when uh, someone you're with says, well, do this. And it's an obvious two-handed job that they give you. And you just say to yourself, oh, boy, um, can't do that uh, or something like that. And uh, it's a victory in the sense that you've got everybody thinking you're like everybody else. Right. You know? And not but noticing. Not, not saying, noticing. Oh, not noticing. And, but there are, you know, it's like a, it's a 90%, 10% deal. Mm. Uh, there's some things you just can't do. Don't worry about it. And did you take a long time to figure out how to do those simple things like getting dressed or brushing your teeth? Oh, yeah, all that Was stuff. That a struggle? You, you, you struggle <coughs> all through those things. All yeah. those, you just have to learn those things. And if you decide it doesn't go, it's not going to matter. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Were there times where your attitude, where you got depressed, got feeling sorry for yourself? I mean, you must oh, have been I'm struggling. Sure, I'm sure. Right? I'm sure there were, but you can't sit. You can't sit still. I'm not a sit still guy. I am now. I mean, I'm so old. I'm sitting still all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> nothing I can do about that. So your career. I mean, you had this incredibly successful career. You know, how how did that all unfold for you? Oh, I just went to work and went to got got. I had to get out of New York. I didn't enjoy New York. Mm. I worked there three years after the war. You did, yeah. Uh, and uh, why why did you not like New York? It was just too crowded, and everybody was telling you what to do, and you you didn't have a chance to make choices. In other words, I could look at myself when I was 25 and figure when I was 50, I'd be doing the same thing, same going firm. to the same weekend squash tournaments doing the same golf thing, everything would be the same. 
and my family had all come from San Francisco anyway, so I moved myself back to San Francisco. Were you playing squash in, uh, in, in New York? Oh, sure. At, at, did you join the university club? Or Yale club. And the university club, because I wanted to play doubles. Yeah. I like that. And um, uh, were you playing in, in tournaments on the weekend? Yeah. There probably still is. There's a circuit, you know. Every mm -hmm. weekend there's a squash tournament during the winter, yeah. July, and I mean uh, January and February, right. whatnot. Huh. What, what year had, did you move to San Francisco? In 50, uh, 1949. Yeah. Well, that's when I, I met my friend Walter Pettit, who passed away about a year ago. Right. And Walter and I used to play all the time. Really? The two of us, we were sort of very equal. And finally, when it got to the <laughs> I told him, I said, Walter, if you don't let me beat you once in a while, I'm not going to play with you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, he never let me beat me. He, could, he had a big rear end, and I could never get around it. I was always looking out one side or the other, trying to figure out where the ball went. And um, Would you he play was, at he lunchtime was a or wonderful guy. Oh, lunchtime or yeah. after, after work. But we played together a lot. And at he, the university club? And, and, the, right, and, the, and the Yale club, both. Yeah. But he was a great guy, and yeah. he was part of that Brinton Pearson thing. That's right. Are you, uh, <clears throat> have you been in touch with anybody from your squash life? No, not at all. San Francisco, no, friends? I just, I really did, did stop when I was 40. And Why did you stop when you were 40? I got tired. And I got, I got, I was working, and I was doing better in the business, working harder, traveling more, and I just couldn't do it. And it was, it was too much. And like I told him, I said, Walter, you got to let me win once in a while. He didn't let you win. You know, he didn't know he was a tiger. I mean, he couldn't help but win. I mean, he, I beat him once, once out of 19 times. I might have beat him, but he was very good, and we played the two of us because we were about very equal. Yeah. Yeah. And we had great games, and it was good as long as we were young enough. But after a while, you get tired of doing the same thing, yeah. and other things come along, and golf became more important to me. Mm -hmm. and, and so golf became my real game. Do you still play now? or? Oh, can't get my arm above my shoulder. Too much arthritis. So I had to stop the golf uh, a couple years ago. What, what did your handicap get to? Oh, I think if I was doing well, it was around 18. But, you know, it hasn't been there forever. forever. With just, you know, one, one arm swings, that's oh, yeah. incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, it, it, it's like anything else. You can learn it if you, you work at it. Out. I mean, learning golf was like learning squash again. And I did learn to play golf, and I could, I could go out and play with the boys on Saturday. It was fun. I like it. I mean, I really liked it. And I was I miss that now, like I miss the idea of football, but what ninety two year olds playing football these days? Not too many. Well it seems like Johnny Skillman was was the the person who really helped you. Oh yeah, Johnny he, was when a, you came back he said, You know what, you can play squash, let's yeah, figure it out. Yeah, yeah. He, Johnny was great. He uh, he was I mean, I don't know how many coaches lasted forty one years at Yale, but not too many. And he was like, everybody liked him. He was just very friendly, and he was so damn good. I mean, he, no matter how hard you tried, he always had the corner shot. You thought he was going to go down the wall, and he went into the wall, and it, it cracked on the other side. I mean, it was just amazing what he could do. Would he, would he um, 
get on the court with you and, and sort of do drills, or would he just get out and say, let's play? Well, I, I think more we played, but he would try to teach me he, certain would he things. Would stop in the middle of the I mean, and, and the idea, and say, if, you could, if you could imagine, you play school rush? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, if you imagine, you've got to be right-handed, and if you can imagine getting and hitting it down the wall, keeping it on the wall, okay, and then you can imagine hitting it cross court so you get back of the tee, and then you can imagine hitting it into the wall, and, and, and so it looks as if it's going down the wall, but it's really going on the other side at cross court. And what Johnny would teach me, or try to teach me, was that the swing is exactly the same for all three shots. You get your feet right and you stand there and you do it, and hopefully you fool the guy once in a while. It's a great point that you want to deceive somebody, you have to pretend you're doing something else. When I was playing squash, a lot of the squash was played in the narrow style courts. Yep. Now almost every every court is a little Why? wider, yeah. international size. Did you ever play internationally? You never played no. softball, right? No. Um, not really. I mean, I played a little bit personally, but nothing. nothing. And when you when you were playing doubles, you play on the left wall because uh, you were playing left-handed. Probably, yeah. yeah. It it would it would be natural. Yeah. I can't remember, but I th I think uh, have, yeah. most of my du double squash was in New York before I left, in between forty-six and, and fifty. Yeah, yeah. Because there wasn't any any, any doubles court in San Francisco. Right. And that one in Denver, you could only go to that tournament once a year or so. <laughs> <laughs> and you're playing at altitude there. Yeah. The ball would be oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I used to play. We. I, it, I can't remember the name of the tournament, but there was a. You remember there was a, a big, tall guy who was a chief justice, or maybe he wasn't chief justice, but he was a justice of the Supreme Court. I can't remember his name now, but he and I made it made a team, and he was tough, and he could play his side, I could play my side, and. We we won that invitational tournament in Denver once, and it was really it was fun. But I can't remember what is his name. Big he used to be a football player too. He's just tough. Uh, uh, you don't mean Jack Warner, the senator? No, no. He he would he be older than I. Uh, so he would be. I don't know if he's even still alive, but he was in the Supreme Court finally. He was a lawyer. And he got in the Supreme Court, but he was a he, he loved to play squash, and he was one of those ones where, when the ball came rotting around in the corner, and he was backing you off, you know, if you if you gave him that much, you got a ball in the back. <laughs> you you did you didn't uh, you didn't cut him off very much. You didn't cut him into you the wall. You gave him room. Yeah. You gave him the room to hit the ball where he wanted to hit it. And back then, those balls were big, and they oh, hurt. Oh, right? I want to tell you, he was tough. I was was lucky to play 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 with him, but that was that was uh, that was only once, and it was fun. Out in Denver. Yeah. And he lived in in in, in Washington. No, he lived. No, I think by that time he retired. Oh, okay. Because he was older than I. I wonder who that was. Well, we I could show, tell you the name if I could see a list of old oh, names. Oh, the Supreme Court Justices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you 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 could probably find out who he was because there's not many. He was like an all-American football player too. And he, Wizard his, Wizard White was an all. Wizard White that might have been the guy. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I think it was like that. Yeah. He was a very good football player, 
and a good squash player. Well, it's an amazing story about uh, you know being being a top player at Yale, and then and then uh, you know and, and then coming back and learning how to play. I mean, friends of ours that like they have an injury, yeah. so they they're like, well, I'm going to go play with yeah. the other the other arm, yeah. you know, while my injury heals or whatever. And, but you had to do it permanently. Well, it, it turned out that with good help, like not only Johnny Skillman, a lot of people helped me, but Johnny was my, you know, my coach, mm. and he was so kind to me. And I, I just like to give him credit when I can. Well, he must have given you the confidence to say, you know what, you oh, yeah. squash. He can do it. We can, can do still, it. You and can still do it. He was so good that he could win soft or hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just a big pounding. Oh, I was a big hard hitter with no brains at all, and uh, I had to learn to be a Bitsy Grant. I had to learn to be able to run like hell and get it back. Bitsy Grant. No, he was a tennis player. Uh-huh. He used to play, he used to get stuff back on the tennis court and drive everybody nuts. Just from a backboard. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was before the World War II. Well, you, Car- Carter Ferguson, uh, he's uh, basically your, your same age. He's, he's yeah. 91. Yeah. So was he on the team with you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Those years, because he also went to the war, so. He was, he was a year behind me at Yale, I okay. think. He was class of 45. Yeah. yeah. It was so great for 41 years and what he did for Yale. And, and he was, by all the oldies, they all knew him. and Everybody knew him. And what he did for me, I mean, I mean, after all, everybody doesn't go from left to right arm and learn what I learned. And get, get it from Johnny Skillman was great. And he had the patience and the belief to do it and made you feel you could do it. You know, all that stuff is in your head and your heart anyway. But he helped bring it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he says you can do it. Somebody believes in you, you can do a lot of things. But you got to have someone who thinks you can do it. Yeah. I'd like to thank everybody who helped make this episode of Outside the Glass, and special thanks to Grant Irving, who was a lobster that dies on the sidewall. 